Without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. Whether you're here in person or you are uh, at our Mecca campus or where you're listening online, uh, I remember a year or so ago, a little past that, uh, it was just me and John. <laughs> and uh, we still had church, amen, and God, God uh, was praised because of it, and uh, we got through it. Uh, and I'm not sure COVID's done yet. Uh, I think that the Delta variant and some other things, I don't think we're, I think Satan's still afoot. What do you think? But either way, uh, God be praised. And uh, we need to continue to remember that uh, we never missed a Sunday. Uh, we continue to bring the message. And as the Bible says, and God willing, we'll continue to do so until God doesn't give us breath. Uh, it's not just me. It's everyone that brings the word. And uh, uh, the Lord has been good to me. And I've never forgotten that. I want to talk with you today on a brand spanking new message called The Measure of Spiritual Maturity. Uh, some of this is due to some things that has happened in my life. Some of it is due to what I see. Some of it is experience. Some of it is what the Bible teaches and how we've gotten away from it. Uh, it's from a variety of things. It comes from Hebrews chapter 5. And I'll tell you this. I believe most scholars would agree that the Hebrews... The book of Hebrews is probably the deepest, richest, most difficult spiritual book in the scripture. There's a lot we don't quite understand about some of it. But there's no question that God was moving on the writer. Of course, you know I believe it's the Apostle Paul with the help of the Apostle Luke. Uh, but it, it may not have been. We don't, we don't really know. But I'll tell you what, God wanted it here. And whoever wrote it, God moved mightily within this individual. And he told this individual things that we're not told anywhere else. Things are explained to us that are nowhere else in Scripture. Even Jesus didn't teach specifically on some of these things. Most evidently, the priesthood of Melchizedek and what it means to be one. And that the demand upon your life as a Christian to be a priest. Because sometimes I think we separate ourselves from that. And think, well, that's what pastors are supposed to do. No, no, no. In fact, the Bible tells us elsewhere that every one of us is not only a priest, but we're a king. How many of you didn't know that till this morning? Well, you are. But only if you belong to Jesus Christ. You understand? We're going to talk about what that means today. And so Hebrews chapter 5, scroll down to verse 11. Uh, I need you to put on your big boy girls and pants because God's going to lay it out for you. Uh, and sometimes we're like, oh, gosh, not one of those. And yet sometimes we're like, okay, Lord, here I am. I want to be like Isaiah today. Here I am. Send me. I'm unworthy to receive it. But if you want to bestow it upon me, I'll accept it. Have you ever felt that way when God's calling you? How many of you feel like you've been stretched by God sometimes? How many of you feel like God is really just kind of, and you're like, and you go kicking and screaming, Yeah. You're digging in your heels and your, your fingernails and your claws like the day that I was my first jump of an airplane. Didn't want to go. thought, you dummy, what are you doing here? Never mind, I asked to go. What, what, a, what a fool, right? But God is different. And when you get into the Word of God, sometimes you're not going to understand all of it, maybe a lot of times. But it's still His Word, amen? And He wants to, and every time I read it, 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 it brings me new, new growth, new, new freshness, new things. Anybody? And so God wants to teach us that today. So down at verse 11 in chapter 5 of Hebrews, going to go all the way through chapter 6, verse 8. God says, we have 
much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. Well, you could take that in one of two ways. You can say, yeah, we are. But then you can make it personal and say, yeah, I am. But I want to be faster to learn. Are you slow to learn today? God wants you to be faster, but he's patient. <laughs> in fact, though by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you even the elementary truths of God's word all over again. Sometimes that's me. No matter how much education or how long I've been in it. Sometimes God teaches me and reteaches me the basics that I ought to already know. Amen? You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But sometimes when we can only handle milk, we think we're pretty righteous. Amen? Have you ever noticed that we consider ourselves righteous about things and in all honesty, we're not real righteous at all. But we think we are. You will think more about yourself, your ability, and your achievement, oftentimes, than you ought. Why? Because that's humanity. Awful silent in here today. Probably because either you're still not woken up yet. You're dealing with issues that are preoccupying your thoughts, whether good or bad. Or you realize that what the Bible just taught you is true, and you're wondering how to deal with it. And yet God still wants to be joyous here. Okay? He wants you to learn. God isn't concerned with where you've been, but what? Oh, okay, some of you get, this side gets it. Does this side get it? God not concerned with where you've been, but? Okay, so God wants to teach you something today, doesn't he? God doesn't tell you these things where you're lacking in order to make you feel bad. People do, but God does not. God just wants you to see where you can be. Yeah, so when you realize in the Lord that you're not everything he needs you to be, God says, but this is what you can be. This is what I desire. This is what I demand that you be. Don't look at your Christian standards around other churches and other people. Look at what the Word of God says. Look what I say. And a very good friend of mine who was a brilliant Bible scholar and teacher for many years said this at a camp meeting at Indiana North. My wife will remember it. He said, this one thing I say but this one thing I do. And God is a doer, along with what he says. We sometimes are just sayers. And God says, if you don't understand what I need you to know, then set it aside, stop worrying about why you don't, or making excuses for it, just start doing it. And this is what he's telling us today. He says in verse 14, but solid food of Hebrews 5, that solid food is for the mature. Now I want you to get that, that mature in your mind. We're going to talk about that in a second. 
who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. I've known people that seem to be mature sometimes and very immature at others, namely our children. Have you noticed how they go in and out of maturity of certain things? Is it suffice to say that possibly as adults in our Christianity, sometimes we're pretty mature and sometimes we're not so much? Yeah. And this is what God is trying. He wants you to have constant use, training yourself to be mature all the time. Be consistent. I think consistency is a problem in the church today. Anybody with me here? And then look at what he says in chapter 6. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. In other words, we got to stop saying love, 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 grace, 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 mercy, mercy, mercy. We already know that. You know how we know? Because God offered it to us. <laughs> but God expects you to step outside of needing grace and mercy. So that you can be more mature. Paul says that where sin increased, so did grace. But God expects you to step away from your sinfulness, to denounce it, walk away, turn from it, stop it, and move forward into righteousness and holiness, and therefore, at that moment, less grace is needed. So why are we talking about grace? You can't lean on grace and mercy and stay there. You can't. God doesn't allow it. Grace has never been a license to do whatever you want. That's how we used it. But it's never been that. It's always been the means to do what you have to as you grow in your maturity, your spiritual maturity. And this is what the writer is trying to tell us. Go on to maturity. Not doing what? Not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death. You, ought to stay, you shouldn't be repenting anymore because you aren't sinning anymore. You see, you only have to repent when you step out and sin. But you shouldn't be doing that anymore. Stop laying the foundation of repentance and start laying the foundation of righteousness. Start being in a place where you don't need to repent anymore because you're not sinning. B boy, wouldn't the church absolutely be a leader in the world if we did that? Wouldn't we now? And of course, faith in God, instruction about baptism, the laying on of hands and resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment and God permitting, we're still going to do that because there's going to be some people that have never gotten to this maturity level because they never heard about Christ before. But the fact is, when you've heard about Christ and you've accepted him, now you've gotten saved and no more. Should be, you should be screwing around down here where the brand new Christians are. You should be a teacher up here at the top of the hill saying, come on. Let's go. The Lord's here. He's in Zion. That's where we're going. You know what ails the church today? We're still down here at the base of the hill. We're still wandering around in the wilderness, not knowing what's right and wrong, not knowing what's Christian and what isn't. And yet, Paul has said, because the Bible has said, it's right here. Paul said in Romans 1, You've got to stop worrying about what's Christian and what isn't. The fact of the matter is, you know what it is. No one ever created is going to be without an excuse because the evidence of God is all around them. As I said last week, cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin went into space. The first man in space, he said, I never saw God anywhere. And the first American in space said, oh my gosh, I see God everywhere. 
It's all about what's going on in here. If you want to see God, you can find him. If you don't, you won't. This is where it is. And so God wants to know, how much of me do you think you really have? Because I've never, I've never held back any of it. I've never restricted any of myself to anyone. So here I am. And look what he says. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the gift of, of the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance. This, this, is, this is massive. This is huge. And this is where, in my opinion, Calvinism fails. I believe it is a lie that has been told to people so they don't have to set themselves to a higher standard. God proves right here that if you have salvation, you can indeed lose it. But if you do, you will likely never come back. Because you've seen what it is. And you still are going to reject it. Not me. I know what salvation is. Anybody here know what salvation is? Anybody want to reject it? Anybody want to throw it out? Go back to the old life? Who wants to throw out their salvation go back to the old life? Anybody? Now, I realize that they're going to say, well, the, the people that did that probably would never say it, but he's not talking about them. He said, if you've had it, if you've seen it, and you lose it, you, you reject it, you throw it out. And yet, do you know that even though we'll sit here today and say we would never do that, we will never reject our salvation, sometimes, in some way, we sort of try because we're certainly not living like we're saved. We're not living to be higher, deeper, stronger, and more faithful in Him. We're just, we're just not. And it's the little things that get in. A, a pastor many years ago uh, who candidated at a church that I eventually pastored, I uh, called him the little foxes. My wife remembers it. It was a friend of ours' father. And he, he's, it's the little foxes that get in. And at the time, I thought it was kind of a shallow message. But I realized how big it is. Because the little foxes... Or if you get enough of them, they start to drag you down and drag you away. And that's, that's how Satan uses it. He starts getting in your mind and your heart, and he starts whispering these things to you, and pretty soon you start looking at yourself versus him. You start looking at how people hurt you, or how they disappointed you, or how they, you don't understand, or why this, or why, you know. And so it's all about you now. It's all about you. And, and you know what? Thank you very much. It should be about me sometimes. That's exactly how you think. I know because I've done it. I'm, gr I'm grateful I'm not doing it right now, but I have. And if you're, if you're really honest with yourself, and you're really allowing God to, to talk to you today, then you know you've done it too. You know, all right, I'm let's just, you know. There's really no shame in that. The shame is not getting out of it when God brings it to your attention. That's the shame. So step up here, get up on the mountain, get, get, get up next to God and say, okay, Lord, where are we going? I'll never forget the day that when I, when I was a salesperson, uh, and I, had, I was pretty good at it, my top rep, too, that my sales manager came out and said, uh, when I walked out in the car, he said, where are we going today? And I'm like, what? Uh, I, I, I don't need you to go with me. You know why I didn't want him to go with me? Because I didn't want him to know that sometimes I didn't do what I should be doing. Because sometimes I wanted to go, you know, hang out in a restaurant or go do this or go do that. And I didn't, I wasn't always going, you know, you, salespeople want people to believe they're always on sales calls. Well, no, you're not. 
That's a fact. And let me tell you, and, and those of you salespeople, you know what I'm talking about. Because you get good enough and your sales are stacked up, you don't have to worry about it, nobody questions it. But here's the deal. They're not always good. And you have bad months and you have bad years sometimes. And I thought about that for a little bit and I wondered, how often do I reject God? When God says, where are we going today? How, how often have I told God, well, I don't need you to go with me? God, why, 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 why would you want to do that? And God just looks and goes, really? You got to ask that? Don't you know that I always want to be with you? And to tell you the truth, if my spirit is in you, <laughs> I am. I'm always with you. We've got to remember that today. And as we look at this passage, he says in verse 7, land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop, useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it's going to be burned. And I realized, I've always known it, but I realized, friends, that I've always known that God was talking about people here. He's saying that either you're going to produce a crop because you allowed him to bless you and you live for him and you produce fruit, or you did your own thing and you said you were a Christian and it produced thorns and you're going to be burned. He's talking about people. God's going to burn people. You do know that, right? God's going to allow people to be burned, right? There's Christians out there that will say, God will never, well, I assure you he is. But here's the deal. What really hit me, instead of being so general about this, I realized I probably know some people that fit this category. And here's the problem. Before I can worry about who they are, I gotta make sure it's not me. You follow me so far? So, <laughs> listen to this. I think, friends, one of the biggest attributes that most people want to believe about themselves is that they're mature. There's that word, I told you we're gonna come back to it. It doesn't matter what kind of maturity it is either, right? Because we mature in different ways in different things. We want to be considered mature because we believe that is when most people consider us to be a few things. One of those things is stable. It's when we believe most people consider us to be relevant. And there's a big, that's a big word, by the way. Uh, I haven't figured that out exactly, but we use it a lot. Because relevant is relevant. <laughs> I'm going to explain that one day. It's, it's, it's a point where we think that people consider us to be trustworthy, maybe dependable, maybe even desirable, or possibly even noteworthy. The, at maturity, we think this is when this happens. And let's face it, we all want to be considered those things, unless we don't. And I've known some people that just never did. But by and large, we all do. In essence, it's the time when most people begin to take us seriously. Because you hate it, when you have what you think is a valid point or opinion and someone says it and they just kind of giggle, smirk, and don't say anything. They don't take you seriously. In other words, they don't see value in your opinion or what you have to say. They don't think it's educated. They think you haven't matured enough to know. And I, every, every teenager I see today that thinks they've arrived, I know they haven't. It stuns me that we have people on our college campuses trying to tell us how to live life. 
And I read this thing uh, that uh, students at, at my favorite university, University of Notre Dame, no, I didn't go there, I went to University of Hawaii, but if I could have gone to Notre Dame, I would have. And I'll tell you this, there are students there that have, and, and some clear, or some, uh, not clergy, but some uh, faculty who have uh, written a petition trying to keep Chick-fil-A off campus because they don't like the value system that Chick-fil-A puts forward. They don't think, this is what they said, it doesn't serve the needs of the student body at Notre Dame. And I went, help me vomit somewhere. <laughs> you came to Notre Dame for it to teach you. And you want to walk out of there with a degree that says University of Notre Dame on it so that you can walk into employers and other people and say, look what I've done. They put their stamp approval. You didn't come there for you to change Notre Dame, kids. Notre Dame was around before you were a figment of anybody's imagination. And it was started on the principles right here. And it still tries to embody that. I don't necessarily agree with all of it, but that's what it is. It's still considered a Christian university, and their standards are higher than most. And you come from wherever it is you came from, and you think somehow in your 18 to 22 years that you know more about life or what it ought to be than everybody before you, including the principles that that university was started on. You see, this is, this is, this is society today. This is who we are. We know more than God does. We won't say it, but we think it. Which is why we're trying to change what Christianity is. Because we're mature, don't you know? How accurate do you think I really am here? Have you seen this? And yet, society, <laughs> Christian and non-Christian, has voted Chick-fil-A the number one fast food restaurant in quality and service in the country. Well, we don't want them because they don't embody our values. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I would rather go to Chick-fil-A than anywhere else in fast food because I know... Everybody's friendly there. They're, they're on it. They work hard. And they only hire people that do. You know what the standard is? Chick-fil-A standard is the word of God. That's what S. Truett Cathy said, I'm going to do with my business, and he did. And he's being attacked for that. He's dead now, but they're still attacking him for it. Friends, I, I'm, not, I'm not up here making a billboard for Chick-fil-A. I'm telling you that when you base your life your goals, everything in life on the Word of God, which is the owner's manual for human life anyway, therein lies your path to success. It is the right path no matter what. It's the one you really want to be on. Everything that ever works is here. Why would we try to change it? But again, I go back to this. We typically consider ourselves to be more mature than we actually are. And this is, uh, it comes from one of two things. Either we are mistaken about our own level of maturity, which oftentimes we are, or society has downgraded what maturity actually is, and the standard is now lower than it once was. And before you choose one or the other, let me tell you, I've looked at this in the manner and way that Solomon did, and I think it's both. Both are likely true. 
Yet, when we reach certain stages of life, society expects us to have reached a level of maturity that it considers the standard. Agreed? Right? You, you, you would probably think it was pretty, something was def, de, desperately wrong with a teenager who's still using a bottle. Or can't do elementary things that they ought to be able to do. Or they're, they're still, be, if you see a, I mean, I don't know, there was a movie out there, I don't know whose it was, but I saw a teenager stuffed into a stroller and I thought, oh my gosh. Sometimes that's just people being silly. But some people have never matured. Now maybe they've not, they're not that far behind, but they're pretty far behind. I've seen it. But, but, but you think, everybody stops and looks because it is, there's something wrong. It's not right. They ex we expect you to be higher than that. And then when your children want certain privileges, you say, well, when you start showing me some maturity, maybe I'll give you some. Have, did that happen to you? Because it certainly happened to me. Because you thought you were higher in maturity than you, your parents thought you were, or someone else. That's kind of part of life. But the standards have changed. We somehow believe that, that teenagers can make a decision of whether they ought to be in church or not. I assure you that they haven't gotten to that place yet. And we're allowing our 6th and 5th and 4th graders to tell us too. Who's the parent? I, I, I'm just saying. They can't make that decision. Now, they can make the decision that they don't really want to go, but that doesn't make it what's best for them, does it? See, you see where we're at? Society has decided that our, the, the, our younger people have more maturity than they actually do, and they should make their own decisions. No, they don't. And I think it becomes very evident if you watch the movie uh, Big Daddy with Adam Sandler. It shows in the movie, it's kind of a silly movie, but it shows that when he allows a kid to make his own decisions, they don't work out very well because he's not ready for them. And this is the point. But this is what society has done. And they're demanding it, and we're giving it to them. And yet, friends, this is what I will tell you. Society has its standard of maturity, and God has his. Society has its standard of maturity, and God has his. Would you agree? And one thing is certain. God's standard is higher and is the only standard that's really going to matter. Are you going to be judged on society standards or God's? Come on, be honest. Are you going to be, is, that, is everybody going to be judged on societal standards or God's standard? How many of you know it's God's standard? Who doesn't? Who's not sure? See, you know. At least in here you do. Then you've got to start living by God's standards and not yours or anybody else's. This is what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say to the church. So when one becomes a child of God, when you get saved, certain things take place. How many of you know that? How many of you know certain things take place when you get saved? It doesn't matter who you are. If you get saved, certain things take place. And according to the Bible, if these things don't take place, then that person hasn't actually become a child of God. You see, again, society will tell you that every human is a child of God, and the Bible says that's not true. And you know what? It, it's gotten so prevalent that people in the church think it's true. Because society says it is. No. Every, every human is God's creation, but they're not God's child. You don't become God's child until you get saved and make Jesus Christ the Savior of your life. That's when you become a child. It's called rebirth. Is the Bible clear about that? Yes or no? Does it say it point blank? 
Yes, it does. So then how do we say that's not what it means when that's what it says? A child of God is a person who is saved and Jesus Christ rules their life. And your friends and neighbors and your family members who have never made that commitment to Christ are not children of God. Do you understand? Not because I say so, because God says they're not. And he's clear about that several places throughout Scripture. So when someone says that to you, correct them immediately. Say, no, you're not. Not until you become, are you saved? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Have you, do you live your life according to his, his standard? And have you renounced the sinful stuff that the Bible says is sinful? If you've done that and you're living with the Spirit in you, then guess what? You're God's child. And until you are, you're not. That's just the way it is. And no one wants to hear it, but that's the way it goes. You see, the child of God is born again spiritually. Nicodemus couldn't understand it when, when Jesus was telling it to him. But, but he, he said, I've already been born. How do I get back in the womb again? Jesus, it's called rebirth. It's birth of water and blood. His. His blood and the water that spilled out of him, which became the standard for our baptism. You understand? That's what it is. Talk about that another day. But when you're born again, when you've been reborn, just as in the case of an infant, you are a spiritual babe and you are expected and required to grow. Every one of us is. And just how does this growth actually take place, do you think? You grow spiritually by first feeding on the Word of God, just like an infant feeds on nourishment from the bottle or wherever they get it from, you understand? And they graduate from the milk and the formula, breast milk, whatever it is, into more solid food, and parents are grateful when that happens, and then table food, and then softer things, and then before long, you're eating barbecue ribs, and that was the happiest day of my life. Okay? You follow where I'm going here? Yes, it ain't lunchtime yet. We're not quite there yet. But the fact is, this is what happens. So you feed on the Word of God, and then second, you begin to develop this spiritual appetite in order to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Friends, I use barbecue ribs because if my wife ever asked me, what would you like today, nine times out of ten, what am I going to say? <laughs> I am a connoisseur of barbecue ribs. I know whose are good and I know whose aren't. I know which ones I prefer and which ones I don't. And I'll taste them and I'll try them and I'll know. You can do them any way you want, but either I like them or I don't. And you see, friends, what's happened here is, is I like them so much that I, I want them all the time. I could eat them two or three days in a row, and I might take a break, but I'll probably go back to them the following week. That's, that's how much I like them. That's how much I crave them. I can't, I got to a point, there's a place called Frankie's Ribs in South Bend. I couldn't drive past it without stopping. In fact, I would take different routes because I knew I would buy it. <laughs> and now that my buddy Homie had... You know, uh, Landis had, had his, uh, his stroke and he's not in business anymore. Homies is gone. It breaks my heart every time I go past it. So now I've got to find a new one and there's not one in town that even measures up close. So if you want to open a rib shack, I'm in. <laughs> then when I go to Indianapolis, I go see Mama King over at King's Ribs and she knows who I am too. And my wife was over there with my daughter the other day and I, and I said, hey, I was thinking. <laughs> And she said, I'll see what I can do. And then she said, I'm your huckleberry. <laughs> Listen, you see, and, and I tell you this because why do I keep wanting them? 
because I enjoy them. I hunger after them. The ta- I love the taste of it. I love, I love enjoying it. And, and shouldn't it be like that with the Lord? Shouldn't, shouldn't God's kingdom be that? Shouldn't we hunger after that and want more of it? And when I don't, something's wrong. See, I don't, see, I don't, I don't, I don't lust after spinach. I don't. I don't, I don't even like cornbread. People like my cornbread, so I make it, but I don't care for it. I'll make it because I like the smile that I get from people, you know? Mike Hester used to tell me, I hate beans. I won't eat a bean. No. And my daughter-in-law doesn't like beans. And she always asked me to make chili without beans in it. And I don't know how one would do that. But nevertheless, Mike Hester loved my ham and bean soup. And he told me, I hate beans. And it was good. And he would eat it. And he would eat a lot of it. And his wife would say, and he lived right over here. And he'd say, hey, are you going to make bean soup? i go, you hate beans. Oh, but I like yours. And you see, it's... It, and I, I, God's kind of like that for some people. You think you won't like him because the changes you think you have to make, and then you taste him, and it's like, I didn't think I liked, but boy, I, real, I like this. This is, this is amazing, right? And I want more of it, and I want more. This is who we are, you see? And, and if you aren't craving righteousness, then you're not feeding on the word of God, friends, because you're not tasting that it's good. The Bible says when you taste of the Bible, it is good. You taste of the word of God, it, when you taste of him, it is good, and you don't want to give it up. So why would these people in Hebrews reject it? No wonder they're not coming back. You see? You've got to develop this spiritual appetite for righteousness. And both of these things and many more are expected by Christ himself. It doesn't matter what society or certain people in the church say or disagree. It doesn't matter if they don't think it. It's what he says. You see, there's this huge movement within the church itself to downgrade God's expectations for a Christian. Which clearly has led to not only this huge debate about what constitutes being a Christian, but also what Christian beliefs and qualities ought to be. And even, believe it or not, What's right and wrong? You see, we've downgraded so that we can choose what Christianity is right alongside what's right and wrong. God doesn't give you that power. He doesn't give you that right. He never given, even given you the opportunity to do it because you can't. I remember the days when nobody really questioned what was right and wrong. You just sort of knew. You know why? Because everybody practiced what was right and wrong. You either practiced right or wrong, or a mixture of both for a while, until you learned. But you knew what it was. But your excuse was, I didn't know, when you did. And even if you didn't know completely, you had a pretty decent idea about it. Yes or no? Okay. See, everybody knew. I remember those days. It was in my lifetime. Yet today, due to this massive self-imposed downgrade of God's standards, and that's what's happened it's difficult to know exactly what right and wrong really is. What holiness and righteousness actually look like. And honestly, what's Christian and what really isn't. Because today it's pretty much wherever you think it is. Now, hear me here. God's going to sort this out. You, you, you do know that, right? God is going to sort this all out. 
But in the meantime, how can we as Christians, how can we as people How can we accurately measure this growth that God expects and demands in us? How can we measure to know that we're growing and flourishing and hungering? How how can we measure that? I mean, what standards can be employed to gauge this growth? The Bible, as always, supplies these standards, and in this message... We're going to consider some of them. I bring this message today because I recognize here, friends, the hand of Satan, and I have for some time. You see, we still live in a time that as Christians where we can surely see that we're living in a time when we notice a movement away from what is Christian and what is not. I recognize it. You can, if, you, if you really spend time in the Word of God, you will recognize today that there are certain things being practiced in churches and by Christians that are not really Christian. You can see it, can't you? I think this has always been so. We still notice and recognize that there is this definite chasm and division, this divide between Christians who follow the Word of God implicitly and those who seem to want to downgrade or even change it. I, I, I recognize it, I, and I've called it out, and they, and they call me all sorts of names. And they will you too. Jesus said they would. He also said there's going to be some people that claim to be His that aren't really His. And He's going to call them out too. But of course, we don't want to talk about those scriptures, you see. We want to talk about all the ones that talk about acceptance, love, grace, and mercy. That's what we want to talk about. But that's not the whole of Christianity now, is it? We want it to be, but it isn't, you see. And my fear here is that we are moving so quickly that the time is coming soon when we won't realize that we've moved away from what God has set as the standard for Christianity. We won't recognize that we've done it. And now we won't be Christian at all, except for a name. We'll say we are, we'll think we are, and we'll believe we are, and Jesus is going to have something to say. He said, I'm going to tell you, away from me, evildoer, I never knew you. And so what will have happened is that we'll have set this new standard of Christianity, and this is what people will practice, because they already are. The problem isn't, that it isn't Christian at all. The problem is that it's partially Christian and partially not. And it's still not Christian at all. You see, this is where where Satan gets his hand moving. It isn't that people renounce Christianity and make up something brand new. They couldn't do that right off the bat. They've tried it with other religions and they don't fly. You know it, I know it. But what they do is say, well, this is Christian and then we'll bring this other stuff in and to get right, and plenty of religions have done that and they call themselves Christian. And they aren't. And whenever you begin to go outside the Word of God and make up things that you think are Christian and all the time preaching love, grace, and mercy, you're in trouble. You're in serious trouble. God has never and He never will accept sinful practice 
and just say, it's okay, bless your heart. He won't. You know it, I know it, the Bible says it, and if you think that, if anybody you know thinks that, set them straight. Let the Spirit set you straight, because it isn't going to happen. It's just not. And you can say, you're harsh, you're black and white, because it is. It is. And no one on the face of the planet, no matter how smart they are, can bring me the Word of God and refute what I just said. They can't. No one can. So you know what we do? We get people that are willing to say it, and we gravitate toward it, because we'd like it better. This is what we do. And when this happens, God will move, as He always has. When we no longer recognize that we've moved from God's standard and have our own, and we don't know we've done it, when we've all died off in the society, we have a society that believes that and practices it, God will move just as He always has, and it isn't going to be good for who's on the earth, I'm telling you right now. He's done it before, He's going to do it again. He said His church would not fail. And when it is on the verge of doing that, He's done. Over. Just like that. It's going to happen. And you know what? No one can dispute that either because he says it. Pastors, lay people, does he? Okay. For the end will have come, and therefore it's time to get out God's measuring stick. Not ours. Put yours back away. You, you, you might as well burn that sucker because your standard doesn't count. It never has. You can set goals for yourself, but it ought to be rooted right here. God has a standard for you and for me. He always has. And he's not going <laughs> to, he can't be bargained with. He's not going to back off on it. He's not going to re relax it. It's his. And in the movie Fireproof, which Kirk Cameron, a good Hollywood star, starred in because he came to Christ. His dad reached to the cross and he said, his standards are so high. Right? Stop living by your Christian standards. They don't count. God's are the ones that count. That's the ones. And I can't do it for you. That's what he told him. You have to do it. God's going to hold you. And I can't take you. My standards don't count. Your standards don't count. And if, if, if my standards are here and yours are over here because that's what you think it is, you think because you're my son you're going to have, No. I can't pray you into heaven. I've heard people tell me that. My grandmother prayed for me. Well, good for her. But she, her prayers aren't going to get you there, bud. You, you have to make a decision. By God's standards, you have to make that decision. So his stick is the one we've got to get out. That's the one you've got to bring out. And we've got to see where we stand when we get it out, too. Remember, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear. But it's then I will hear. Then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. He didn't say anywhere in there that I'm just going to back off my standards. He doesn't say anything in here about watering down what he requires. He says, turn from your ways toward mine. Completely. Every one of them. Then I will heal your land 
and then I will forgive your sin. And then Isaiah 55, 6, seek the Lord while he may be found and call on him while he is near. You know why? Because he's not going to be. And he's going to pull the Holy Spirit out of the earth. When the treaty is broken, the great tribulation, and evil will run rampant with nothing to hold it back. Friends, I'm telling you, it is a fact. And when it does, only God can help those who are here. And they can't get out of it unless they come to Christ. And with no spirit to prompt them, I don't know how they're going to do that. Do you hear me? Do you understand this? This isn't, I ain't, I'm not playing a game here. I'm telling you. This is fact. Let's get busy. Am I out of time here? Gosh, I am. Okay. Well, you're not going to get your message today. But you should get the prelude. Friends, God's measuring stick is the one that counts. No one else's. You, you, have to spend time here every single day you have to ask anybody in here who's been a christian any length of time if they would feel comfortable not spending time in here because 20 years ago they read this and they think they know what's in it <laughs> listen we quote things all the time movies and books yeah I, I i read i read books 20 years ago and i can quote things out of them but you know what happens when you don't read the book very often? You forget what's in it. And you, you misinterpret what you think it said. I did it with movie quotes all the time. I'll quote a movie quote, find out that's not exactly what they said. Why? Because I haven't watched it for a while. This is, this is, do you think it happens here? I guarantee it does. I promise you it does. Oh, I missed reading the scripture yesterday. Okay. Then do it today. Right? Well, I didn't do it yesterday and I was okay. Because this is who we are. God's standard is his standard. You can't make it up. Your church can't make it up. Your society can't make it up. Your friends can't do it. God does it. Your pastor can't do it. All I can do is accept his. And you know what? Any pastor that doesn't isn't God's pastor. That's it. I don't care how popular they are. I don't care what church they pastor. I don't care how much money or who's in it. I don't care what name's on it. I don't care what they call themselves. I don't care what they think of themselves. We're already proven that we think more of ourselves than we should. The fact of the matter is, this is the fact, friends. God's standard is the only one that counts. And every pastor that says they're God's pastor better speak it, preach it, and hold people to it. And if you don't, God's going to hold you to it. It's a fact. I promise you. And you better know that before you aspire to be one. Anybody with me here? Yeah, I'm telling you right now. So if, if I told, and one, on, on our district board of minister of development, I used to tell them, if you're not called to ministry, you're not absolutely 100% sure that you're called and somebody else told you that you should be, get out right now because you don't belong there. Get out. You don't belong there because you will fail. And you're going to take people with you. And God will hold you to another standard, and you aren't going to like it. If you're not called, do not pursue ministry. At the same time, if you are, and I'm telling myself this because I knew I was, and I ran, and I ran, and I ran. I said, nah, not me. 
So, God's standard. And as tough as being a pastor is, that's all I want to do. Because that's what he has for me. And as tough as being a Christian is, I hope that's all you want to be. Because that's what he has for you. So find out what Christianity is. Stop fighting against City Hall, which is God's standard. Stop going with the flow. Stop listening to your friends. Stop listening to people that don't know. People that come and go. Ebb and flow. Popularity. And start looking in the Word of God because that's where it's at. It's always been there. It's never changed. And yes, it's all there. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. For more great biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.